Well, good morning, South Shore. It is good to see a room full of faces, and uh, we sure appreciate you being here. Thanks so much for coming today. Thanks, team, as well. Here we are at the end of February. Woohoo! 28th of February. Tomorrow is March, and just uh, a little bit down the road will be spring. I don't know about you, but I love the seasons. I love the change of seasons. I'm not uh, thrilled for all of the seasons. Some seasons we don't like as much as others, and some seasons we want to escape from in the midst of the cold winter, but in every season of our life, physically or emotionally or whatever we deal with, God is faithful. Amen? He's faithful always to us. And um, we know, here's what we know, that God is doing something in every season for God's glory and for our good, and we can be sure of that. This morning we find ourselves in our eighth message in Colossians. Uh, We talked last week about being alive to Christ and dead to sin. And it leads directly into what we're going to be talking about today. Alive to Christ and alive to righteousness. So last week was the put off, this week is the put on. Those who have come to know Jesus Christ have a brand new identity. Right, there's many things that describe us. We could describe ourselves as I was born here or I went to school there or I married this person and I do this for work. Lots of things we could talk about that describes who we are, but nothing defines us more than this, that, that we belong to Jesus Christ. Your identity is, is that you belong to Jesus Christ. All of that other stuff really is very insignificant, that you are a son or a daughter of Christ, that you are in union with Jesus Christ defines you now and will define you to the end of your days. Heaven is our true home. We're passing through on our way there to where we belong, and absolutely nothing compares to that. Nothing that we go through on this earth is gonna compare to that, and nothing that you could say about your identity compares to that. This is who you are. So sure, we're alive to Christ. And we know what we have done. We have died to the old, and we have put it off along with its practices. We said last week that everything that is not like Christ has to be gone. The old has gone and the new has come. This is our glorious calling. We're done with how we used to live and speak because we have a new life, a new calling, and a new power to live for Christ. Now, sometimes we're tempted in our, in the heat of the moment to return to that stuff, right? It's like we talked about the things that we have to put off. And sometimes some of those clothes, some of those grave clothes that we used to put on, we're tempted in the heat of the moment to say, I really want to put this on. But then we think, who are we in Jesus Christ? And so we say, you know what, that's got to go. That's got to go. There's no more room. We throw it out. We get rid of it. We get rid of it. The Bible says that we're to hate our sin, to hate our sin, right, to the, the things that are in us, the things that, that are in me. That God empowers us to put that stuff away, to hate our sin. We talked last week about the sins of the flesh, the sins of the tongue, the sins of how we treat each other. There's no room. There's no room. We've got to get rid of that stuff. And Jesus not only tells us to say no to that stuff and to put it off, but to say yes. Lord, yes. Yes. Lord, we say yes to what pleases you, and he empowers us to say yes to a life that honors him. The gospel is more than just what saves us. Listen to this. The gospel is what changes us. Isn't that good news? Right? You are not going to stay the way you were. I'm not going to stay the way I was. The gospel saves us and the gospel changes us. What a glorious calling to be in practice what we are in reality. Amen. 
And this is what is true for us. And this is where we're going to go today. This is Paul's exhortation to the church. In Colossians chapter 3, there's more that we need to understand about our identity, and Paul's going to hit it again. And there are some positive things to put on. We talked about what we're going to get rid of, what we're going to throw in the garbage can, but we're going to put some new things on. The Bible uses this clothing metaphor, this take off and this put on metaphor, right? We've got to get rid of some stuff. We've got to throw those things away. It's off with the grave clothes, and it's on with the grace clothes. So I'm going to put a new jacket on, right? I threw one in the garbage. Don't worry, it was a clean garbage bag. Those of you who are horrified that I just threw my jacket on, uh, you know, some coffee cups and some banana peels, don't worry, it's clean, but it's gone. There we go. We put off the grave clothes and we put on the grace clothes. This morning, what we're going to learn about is what love in action looks like. What does love in action look like? And how exciting that in this place, in this room, in our fellowship, we get to live this out. We get to figure out what love in action looks like. So let's open our Bibles. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. Colossians chapter 3, 12 to 17, and let's stand together as we read God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Go ahead and take a seat. Today as we look at this message, love in action, there's three points that we're going to look at. The first one is this. We are loved like this. Second of all, we should love like this. And third, the new you is called to this. The new you is loved like this. The new you Loves like this, and the new you is called to this. And let me just say right from the beginning that when I talk about the new you, I'm not talking about the new you, you, individually. Yeah, that's you, you, individually, but it's new you, us, right? The plural you, all of us together, the new you who God is making. This is what we are called to. This is what you're called to individually as well. The new you is love like this. Remember a few years ago, if you watched those TV shows, it was popular to watch those makeover shows. Remember that? So uh, maybe it still is, I'm not sure. But there's a person who wanted some updating and some upgrading, right? So they, you know, became a candidate and uh, they became the star of the show for half an hour. And so they get, uh, they get a new haircut, uh, they get some new clothes, a few thousand dollars are poured in, and 30 minutes later, voila, we get to see the transform- transformation, right? New you, new clothes, new outlook on life, woohoo! Kind of fun to see that stuff. Well, in Christ... We have had that transformational makeover. 
We've had it. The costly work of the cross and the grace of God poured out into our life has created a new you with new clothes, new clothes to wear and a new outlook on living. It's not just kind of in the the TV show world where it's superficial. I wonder sometimes how long that change lasted for. But for us, it's not just superficially feeling good about ourselves because we have a new hairstyle and some new shoes. It's because Christ made us new. He made us new and he's making us ever more to be like Jesus. It just keeps getting better and better. So taking away the old clothes, right? Putting them away, throwing them in the garbage, going in your closet and, and decluttering and just getting rid of stuff that shouldn't be there makes room for the new. Sometimes we have to clear out before we can put on. It's not just that we have to take the old stuff off, which we do. We have to replace it with something better. And what we will get to, what that looks like, what those things that we're to put on, we're gonna get to in a moment. But here, we stop first for a reason because Paul gives us a why. Why should you do this? And he gives us the why. It's a three-part motivation. We see it in the text right in verse 12. Here's why we're to live like Christ. Look at it with me. He says, put on then, right? He starts telling us, here's what you need to put on. As God's chosen ones, three parts. His chosen ones, holy and beloved. There's the motivation for why we do what we do. This is our new identity in Christ. Your status has changed because of the grace of God in your life. And what you're to put on is anchored in who you are in Christ, your identity as God's people. Church, I want to declare to you today that you are objects of God's great love and mercy. And this great love and mercy was evidenced at the cross when Jesus shed his blood. This was, this was God's doing. This was the evidence of his amazing grace. This is your status. And this description of this exalted and wonderful new status before God is rooted in the Old Testament where what's about to be said about you and me was said of Israel. So Deuteronomy chapter 7. Paul here in Colossians 3 is quoting Deuteronomy 7, 7, 6, and into 7, 7. It says this, For you are a people, listen, holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has, second, chosen you to be a, a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And just if, you're, if you've turned there in your Bible, just a little bit later, verse 7 says, The Lord has set his love on you and chose you. There we see, you're loved, you're chosen, you're holy. Paul in Colossians 3 is going back to Deuteronomy chapter 7. And so through Jesus, we have been brought into this new covenant community of faith. As it was said of Israel back there, now it's said of the church. What is God doing in Christ? He's creating a new people made in his image, a new community for himself. And he's saying, what was true of the Old Testament people that by the way, bracket, they failed at. I'm actually doing something in you to make you the kind of people that I wanted my people in the Old Testament to be. This is people who are elect, right? The Bible says sovereignly chosen in him before the foundation of the world. We're elect, we're holy, we're set apart to God and we're set apart from sin. And the third thing is we're loved, we're unconditionally loved, fully loved. You today are loved like God loves his son fully, completely. None of this, this election, this holiness, this love is anything that we have done. It's only because of this good and gracious king that we finished singing about just a few minutes ago. So this is who you are, church. You're chosen. You're set apart. You're holy. You're beloved. 
And there's an implication because of what I just said is true. So we heard last week, belief should then lead to what? Say it with me. Belief should lead to our be our behavior. Our belief should lead to our behavior. But it wasn't that way for many of the people in Paul's day, the religious people. Here's what Craig Keener, who writes on Old Testament culture, he said this. Ancient culture was pervasively religious, but most pagan religious practices or ritual observances did not cast moral influence over one's daily life and ethics. For Paul, in contrast, every aspect of life must be determined by Christ's lordship. So what he's saying there is for a lot of religious people, a lot of pagan people who were religious in Paul's day, what they believed or professed to believe, it just didn't translate into how they lived. And he's saying, not so with you. Church, what we believe is to be what we live. So that's the why. That's the why. If you grasp who you are before God has chosen and set apart and beloved ones, you're going to have little trouble being motivated to put on these godly virtues. That's why we do what we do. And so, because we are in Christ, we make these efforts to put off the deeds of the flesh and to demonstrate his love in action. This is God's love in action for us. The new you is loved like this. Here's the second thing. If the first thing was the why, here's the what. Here's the what. The new you loves like this. The new you loves like this. So let's look at the qualities that we see starting in verse 12. What are we to put on? Here's what we're to put on. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So here's a list. Paul likes his list, doesn't he? We had two lists last week. Here's eight godly characteristics that we're to put on. Now, if you're a careful Bible reader, you're thinking, I think I've seen this list somewhere before. And in fact, you have a number of times. Ephesians got a list. Ephesians has a list. And Galatians 5, 23, the fruit of the Spirit, has very many of the same things that Paul's talking about here. These qualities are displayed in the life of one who is filled with the Spirit. A Spirit-filled believer is going to look like this. Galatians 5 and in Colossians 3. Spirit-filled believers, this is, this is what we're going to look like if we're controlled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Marshall Siegel writes, The new you is not defined mainly by what you've put off, by the sins you have put to death, but by the evidence of what that Christ is living in you by his Spirit. Now, it used to be, you know, it was kind of the joke was, I'm a Christian, I don't dance, I don't go to movies, and I don't play cards on Sunday. Those are the things that sort of jokingly we said, you know, this is what Christians don't do. We're not known by what, you know, we're not known predominantly by what we don't do. What we are known by is what we do do, about what love and action looks like. To put on the new self is to wear those characteristics of the one we've put on. And if we could summarize our message today, I think Paul says it perfectly in Romans chapter 13. Here's what he says. Maybe you've never seen this verse. Maybe you have. He says this. Put, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. What are we to put on? Right, we're to put off the old self. We're to put on Christ. This new clothing, we're to be wrapped in the righteousness and the heart and the characteristic of Jesus. 
And then he says, make no provision for the flesh. In other words, your closet has no room. It's got lots of room for Jesus' clothing, but it has no room for the provision of the flesh to gratify its desires. So we're called to imitate Christ who perfectly displayed the fruit of the Spirit. Think about Jesus. Did he show love? Was there joy? Was there peace? Was there patience? Was there kindness? Was there goodness? Yes, there was. Jesus Christ is the perfect display of the fruit of the Spirit. And as we look at these eight words, we're going to put them into three groupings. How we, first of all, treat each other. Second, how we think. And third, how we react when we are mistreated. Let's look at them. Here's the first one. How we treat each other. Compassionate hearts. Compassion resides in the heart. And when you see somebody that's suffering, you want to get involved. This church has a big heart for compassion. Compassion is sympathy in action. If you want it succinctly, compassion, if you're gonna write this down, is sympathy in action. Think about the Bible. When I think about compassion, I think of the story of the Good Samaritan, right? Someone saw someone in distress and it was moved to action to heal and to pour in the oil and the wine and to make sure this wounded, distressed person was ministered to. So our God is a God of compassion. Compassion fueled the heart of Jesus. Church, let's put on a compassionate heart. Somebody around you is in need. And I love the fact that your, your eyes are, are looking, your ears are listening, how we can live compassion out one to another. Put that on, put that on. The second thing he mentions is kindness. If compassion is sympathy in action, kindness is goodness in action. It's goodness in action. Kindness is a, just a great word, right? To be kind is just a great word. It's a genuine concern for the feelings and the well-being of others. Don't you love being around people who are kind? We've all experienced acts of kindness. Maybe you were one of those people that you're behind in the drive-thru and you get up and got, got your bagel and your large double-double and the person at the cash said, hey, the person in front of you just paid for that. It's all free. Kindness is a word of encouragement. Kindness is someone who's written you a note just to say that you've been, they've been praying for you. And we don't forget these acts of kindness. We don't forget these expressions of, of goodness. What does biblical kindness look like? I, I think of 2 Samuel chapter 9. There's this scene with David and this guy's name who's hard to pronounce. Remember that guy? Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and he was crippled. And David took him into his house and put him at his table and just said, you know, you're gonna be in my house and you're gonna be in my family. I'm taking care of you now. Kindness. Kindness looks like that. Kindness looks like Jesus. Kindness looks like the ultimate expression of what Jesus did for us. Titus 3 says, but when the goodness and, and the loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us. That's what kindness looks like. Kindness looks like the goodness in action of our God. Hey, kindness is hanging in your closet, so put it on. The second category of the virtues that we're looking at is, is how we think. Not just what fuels our hearts and how we treat others, but how we think. The third one is humility. Sometimes humility is a little bit harder to define. We, we get kindness, but humility is not, let's start talking about what it's not, it's not about being weak or passive. It's not about thinking you're no good. 
Humility is the opposite of pride. It's a proper estimation of yourself. And humility begins with the fear of the Lord. We're humbled when we live in fear and submission to the Lord and in his word. The humble person you know because that person receives correction. The humble person you know because they can receive teaching. And the humble person is quick to ask for forgiveness. If you're wanting to ask if, if you're a humble person, just make that a checklist against yourself today. Humility, where was that demonstrated in the Bible? Jesus, Blair read it for us earlier. Jesus who was gentle and humble in heart. Jesus who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus who laid aside his glory in Philippians chapter two that he would take on flesh and live and die for us. Christians, it's part of your wardrobe, so put on humility. Here's the fourth thing, meekness. Meekness, sometimes we mistakenly think that meekness is mousiness, right? It's not weakness, it's not mouthiness. It's a a God dependence. It's power under control, that's what it means. Meekness is power under control, the godly use of strength. And the meek demonstrate resolve and courage and conviction, and Jesus said, blessed are the meek. Biblical meekness looks like this, it looks like Moses. This is what God said. God said Moses was very meek, more than anyone else alive. Biblical meekness ultimately looks like Jesus, who walked the earth as God. That's meekness, that's power under control. With all of the power of the Holy Spirit in him. Meekness looks like Jesus, who when he was reviled, and when he was falsely sentenced to death, Isaiah says this, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, and yet what, remember that? He says this, he opened not his mouth. Put on meekness. It looks a lot like Jesus. Let's stop for a minute as we've looked at these first four virtues, and you know, you might be thinking, Pastor Jody, the Bible definitely convinces me and convicts me that I need to put these things on in a greater way. I need more of them. And you know, we, we think about these things, and I think about these things for me, and uh, we think, you know, I need, I need some more compassion, I need more kindness, I need a dose of humility, and I need some extra meekness. And while it's true that these are virtues that we want to see evidence in our life. I just want you to be clear about something. This isn't a sermon about five ways to be a better you in 2021 so that you're, you know, you're more liked at work. It's true that these things are to become more true of us personally. But ultimately, these are essential qualities. They're things that we put on that need to become true of us because you belong to Jesus Christ and because you want to glorify God in your life and here in the church, in your closest relationships where it matters at home and in this place. The gospel has real life implications where it matters in our relationships, in our decisions, in the way we are here in this church. And listen, I love God's word, and I don't want to say to you today that God's providence, I really believe, has brought us to this text on this day, on February the 28th. You know, when we planned this series and talked about when everything would, would happen, this text fell today. And God's word is realistic. It's, it's real life. We've been through a lot. 
And we're going through a lot. It continues to be hard. Life in 2020 was not easy. Life in 2021 continues to be challenging, to say the least. But listen, we, we need these things. We need these things in order to live in such a way that we glorify God. Can I hear a big amen to that? So here's the third category, how to act when we are mistreated. That never happens, right? We never mistreat each other. We never, like, there's never any conflict, right? Never any conflict at home. Never any conflict on the way to church. Never any conflict between brothers and sisters in the church. No, it never happens. Well, just in case it ever does happen, here's the next three that we can categorize on how to act when we are mistreated. See, we're people that are in process of still dealing with our sin. We're still needing to put some more stuff off and we're still needing to put these things on. This is how God acted towards you, so let's do it towards others. Here's number five, patience. Patience is self-restraint and not giving way to anger. Self-restraint, not giving way to anger, not even in, when you're provoked. It's strength to endure evil. Oh, how Jesus was, was patient with his disciples. Often they were blinded and selfish and faithless. Still, he remained committed to them, patient, patiently serving them, patiently teaching them, patiently loving them, even as they continued to disappoint him. Patience, patience, patience. The good news is Colossians 1.11, right back where we started, Paul said, I'm praying for you, church, that you get more of this. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance. He's praying for that and for patience with joy. He's praying for us. The Lord's praying for us. Put on patience one to another because Jesus never stops being patient with you and he never stops being patient with me. Number six, bearing with one another. Putting up with each other. Being tolerant of each other, right? That's what bearing with one another means. It means we exercise some calm patience when you're provoked so that you don't retaliate. And I guess if we could say, what would be a summary of the character and the heart of God in the Old Testament? It would be bearing with one another. His people who continually broke his commands, ever turning to idolatry, but God was patiently loving lovingly refraining from giving them what they deserved. Romans 2.4 just talks about God's forbearance with us. And, and we need to develop the godly trait of bearing with one another, having the capacity to exercise some grace with each other when we feel like our buttons are being pushed. Because we all need room to, to grow. We all need to be given room to change. Peter mentioned that, that we're in different places we need to extend grace to one another. We need to bear with one another. And as you do so, what does this do? As you, as you offer patience and forbearance with each other, what does it do? It, it builds the body. It builds our unity. The presence of it, that's what it does. But when we're lacking in it, what does it do? It leads to conflict. It leads to division. Hey, brothers and sisters, we're all in process. We're all in need of this but we're to put on the virtue of bearing with one another. Number seven, look at your Bible, what does it say? This one has a lot of, a lot of extra material, is forgiveness. This, is, this aspect of Christian character is highlighted in the strongest of ways, like none of the other are. 
Verse 13, if, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. We could spend so much time on this subject because it deserves it. It needs it. However, we only have a little bit of time and we're going to speak about it briefly. Forgiveness is essential in human relationships. We are people who wrestle with sin. We sin against God in thought and word and deed. And we sin against one another. People, each other, who are made in God's image. Once heard one of my professors in seminary talked about what one of the most important qualities to live in community was. And he said, he said in community what we need is forgiveness because I'm not God and you're not God and we will continue to sin against each other. We need to continually forgive one another in a very, very strong way. He qualifies it by saying, forgive like Jesus. What did Jesus say in Matthew 18? How many times, when Jesus said, how many times, Lord, am I supposed to forgive? Do you remember that? Do the math. 490 times. Math majors, 70 times seven. Christian forgiveness, body life forgiveness, South Shore kind of forgiveness is 70 times seven forgiveness. This is the command of Jesus. It's the way of Jesus. It's what we have received is the way we're to live, to forgive. Think about what life would be like without forgiveness in our relationship with the Lord. We'd be condemned. We'd be eternally lost. But the gospel story is one of amazing grace, undeserved forgiveness. And what we have received, what we have been given, we're commanded to give to one another. Right? If I said, hey, look across the room, uh, look at your spouse, look at your parents, look at your siblings. Look maybe, you know, to someone who lives in a different place. This is how we're to live. This is how we're to relate. We're to keep short accounts with each other. We're to let these things go, giving them over to the Lord, dealing with our grievances face to face, dealing with them quickly for the restoration of the relationship, for the health, your spiritual health for the health of the body of Christ and the glory of God. And I think this morning of the two debtors in Matthew chapter 18, do you remember that? There was a guy who owed $10 million. $10 million. So I tell you, if I owed $10 million, it would probably take me 100 lifetimes to pay it off. And so he pleads before the judge and he says, I can't pay the money, have mercy on me. And the judge said, Forgiven. So you know what happens. The guy, what he does is some other guy owes him 20 bucks. That guy who was forgiven $10 million, someone in his life owes him 20 bucks. And that same guy who owes 20 bucks pleads with him. He says, I can't pay the 20 bucks. Have mercy on me. And the guy says, "Uh uh-uh. He says, I'm tossing in jail until every penny of that debt is paid. And Jesus tells us the story that he says, You who have been forgiven $10 million, ought you not to release and forgive those who have sinned against you 20 bucks? Right, it teaches us that this is who we are, this is what we've been given, this is what we're to give out because of the love of God. Let me tell you, South Shore, we will not be the kind of Christ-honoring community that we need to be without the practice of forgiving one another, ready to forgive And I need to warn you that the Bible is very clear about the consequences of of holding grudges and unforgiveness and bitterness in our hearts. Matthew 6 says this. 
If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We need to sit under that. That's a sober warning. So sure, wear forgiveness. Put it on. On the cross, Christ forgave your sins. Let that $20 debt go. Just let it go. Throw it in the garbage. Let it go. Here's the final thing. Love. This is the crowning virtue, the final piece of clothing, the supreme virtue, the highest grace. If we talked about all of these other seven things, they're really all qualified by love. Love is this primary evidence that we're united with Christ. This great commandment to love God and to love one another. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. I love this verse. He says, this is what we're to put on. He said, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. This is what we're to do. We're to grow up. We're to walk in this love. We're to put it on and put it on. Love in action towards each other. Love covers what we do. It's like an overcoat. It wraps around all these other things. It binds them together. It holds them together. And love binds us together. It binds us together. All of these other virtues are expressions of love. You see that in 1 Corinthians 13. Remember this? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not boast, right? We, that's the humility piece. Paul's getting back to his list again in another place. And without love among us, right, Paul says, if I don't have that stuff, I'm nothing. He said, if I have all these giftings, if I can do all this stuff, and I don't have love, all of my gifts and all of my service and all of my profession, it amounts to, it amounts to nothing, right? Love is not optional. Because we've been shown love, we know love. Because of what God's love to us in Christ is, we are to call to put this love into action. How good it is when the family of God dwell together in faith and love and unity. But we are a church of people who are very much loved. You are very much loved, so sure. But we're also still very flawed. And the bonds of our covenant, the bonds of our commitment to one another, it, it feels like they're being tested. It feels like they're being pulled apart. But we have to press in and say, we're going to keep loving one another because love covers a multitude of sins. And love brings us to unity. Love brings us to maturity. It's not optional. And this is what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Just think for a minute, places and situations you've been in where stuff that should have been thrown in the garbage wasn't and stuff that should have been put on wasn't. And think of the families and think of the churches that could have been spared needless division and in some cases destruction because stuff wasn't thrown out and stuff, stuff wasn't put on. But these garments come from Jesus. Thank you, Lord. These garments of all of these qualities come when we abide in Christ, when we live in the power and see his fruit evidenced in our life. You are his chosen. You are his holy. You are his beloved ones. We are together. So put them on and let's live them out in this community of faith. And let's display them to the world that watches us. Let's let them see what Christian love in action looks like. This is love in action. This is what the new you loves like. The new you loves like this. Well, in our time remaining, let's look at the remaining verses. Our third point today is the new you is called to this. 
The new you is called to this. I remember when I lived in Orangeville, when Jordan was seven years old, I think there was a, a bit of a, a lacking in volunteers in minor soccer, as there often is, and there was a, a call to, for coaches, and I decided to coach. I wasn't, never done this before. I was a rookie. I couldn't really coach, so I was learning as I went along. But I've got to tell you, we had the best season ever. Anybody ever coached minor anything, hockey, soccer? It's pretty fun. So I had fun. I didn't know what I was doing, but I had fun. And the kids had fun. I guess if that was all that was, it was great. And the parents had fun. The parents don't always have fun. This was a season that was devoid of, you know, people chirping from the sides and yelling at the coach and yelling at the kids and getting mad, all that stuff that, like, they ban now, right? We don't want any of that stuff. It was the best summer ever. And there's nothing, being, there's nothing like being part of a team where people are working together. You know, if that wasn't, if that wasn't enough that we just had fun, and the kids grew in their skills. We ended up winning the championship. That was kind of gravy. That was icing on the cake. And there's nothing like being part of a team that works well and that works well together and enjoys being together. Church, there's nothing like being part of a church that you love being part of, where love in action is seen. And this is what we're called to. So we've seen the motivation. Why do you do this? It's because of your identity. What does it look like? Eight points. So in this final point, Paul's showing us the result. Here's what it looks like when, it's, when you get the why, when you get the what, and, and here's the result of what it looks like. The new you, the new us, it looks like this. We become a community of peace. We're going to look at these verses. Verse 15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. That's a community of peace where Christ is all and this love is lift out. What's the result? It's going to be a community of peace. This message of Jesus, the the peace of Jesus ruling our hearts, the, the Jesus who died for us to bring us peace with God, he is our peace. And the peace that we enjoy is the peace that we share with one another. It's the peace that we we share one to another, particularly in times of conflict. Where contention and strife destroy the community of peace, the peace of Christ builds us up and it's to rule in our in our midst. That word rule. In the original language, it's the, it's the word for umpire. It's the word for referee. It's to have the final say. It's to govern how we live, right? What's the rule? What's the rule of the game? What's the rule of living together? It's peace. Peace with one to another. That's the kind of church that you want to be part of. We're one body. We're one family. And for us to quarrel and to fight with each other in light of everything that God has said to us this morning is absolutely insane and inconsistent with the gospel of Christ. So, South Shore, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, Ephesians 4, 3. There's no room for factions. There's no room for unforgiveness. The new us, the new you, is called to peace. This is who we are. We're a community of peace. Second thing is this, verse 15. We're a community of thankfulness. Five times in Colossians is this exhortation to thankfulness. And in this passage particularly, we see or thankfulness or thanks three times. It's everywhere in Scripture. We don't deserve anything, so we're grateful for everything because of the gift of God's love. And where Christ is all and where love is lived out and when we're growing together and the blessings of Jesus are being celebrated, what's it going to result in? It's going to be a community of thanksgiving. We're going to be thankful to be here. We're going to be thankful for each other. We're going to be thankful for what God is doing in our midst. We're going to be thankful for this church. 
We're gonna be thankful for the grace of God. That's the kind of church that I want us to be. We can be thankful for so much, all sorts of blessings, for the goodness of God and seasons and creation and provision, but listen, how much more, how much more should what fuels us in our heart of thanksgiving is because of the infinitely costly gift of God in sending His Son. There's no room for grumbling. There's no room for complaining. Just, listen, deep gratitude for Christ's abundant goodness. This is, this is what we're called to, so sure. The new you is called to thankfulness. The third thing, look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Where Christ is all, we saw that in 3.11, but Christ is all in and all. Where Jesus is all and love is, is lived out, it will be a community of mutual edification. We're going to learn together. We're going to become mature together. We're going to grow up together. This is the kind of place we want to be. You're, you want your kids to grow up here. You want your kids to hear about Jesus here. You want to move to maturity. You want to develop your, your giftings, and you want to be faithful. We're going to be mutually edifying one another. And listen, we have to be careful because there's a lot of stuff, chapter two, Peter talked about that. There's a lot of worldly wisdom. There's a lot of Facebook nonsense. There's a lot of false teaching going around in our world. And we need to be careful what we take in. We need to be careful what our eyes see, what our ears hear. Instead, what do we do? We live under the word of God. We live in submission and subjection to this word. And as the Bible says, it needs to dwell richly in our hearts, not meagerly, not you know, just like a little tap that's dripping a little bit. It needs to be the tap that's open full up. This big spring is flowing, the word of God among us, and I'm so thankful that we get to preach, and I'm so thankful that we get to teach, and I'm so thankful that you're talking about God's word around your dinner tables and your Bible study groups. I'm so thankful that you're reading it in your RMM plan. Invest deeply in God's word and let it go deep in you. And I know in Blair's group and in Alex's group and probably some of your Bible study groups, your challenge is to, to memorize a verse from Colossians, so put it in your heart. And as you put God's word in your heart and as we sing together as we did, I was built up this morning, I was encouraged. Our songs encourage us, our psalms, our hymns, our spiritual songs teach us, admonish us. And you encourage me and you encourage one another. This godly encouragement, this is what happens as this dwells in us. And the final thing is this. We become a community of worship where Christ is all and his love is lived out this community is going to be a community of vibrant worship in these walls and outside when we are sent. So we sing this, these songs. In verse 17, let's look at it together. Whatever you do, whatever you do, Paul's saying, hey, by the way, you live here, you live in this place as the church, but whatever you do, wherever you go, here's the qualification. It's everywhere. It's everything. Do in word or deed. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So when we know the peace of God and when we're filled with the gratitude and when we're filled with the word of God mutually edifying one another, we're gonna overflow. We're gonna overflow with joy and we're gonna overflow in a life of witness that our words and our deeds are going to be lived out in the name of Jesus to the glory of God. Our praise, oh, I wanna see our praise rise. I wanna see this place just echoing and reverberating with the praises of God. And I want when we are sent, when the benediction is pronounced and you leave these doors and you drive away and we're sent, we're going to be the kind of people that whatever we do in word or in deed, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our families, we're going to see that next week. We're going to do it all to the glory of God. 
Because this is love in action. This is us. Church, this is us. This is us. This is what we are called to. And this is for today. And I'm so thankful that God is gracious, like a wise and loving father. God gives us what we need in season. Right, we don't have to wonder. We don't have to wonder how to make it through these days. These are tough days. These are days that we have not seen before. These are new waters for all of us. This is a stressful time, but God in his goodness and his love gives us what we need for today. <laughs> if we were honest, we would say this. We're probably, we would say we're disoriented. Uh, we're weary. We're tired. And we're sickened by the fact that COVID has forced a series of divisive topics into our fellowship. It's, it's challenged us in how we process what it means for us biblically to live under governing authorities. And in this place, in churches all across the country, we hold to different convictions on these things. And sometimes when the heat gets up, gets turned up, what happens? The impurities, what do they do? They bubble to the surface. I don't know about you, but I've seen these impurities bubbling up in my life. We felt it as a church, we've seen it. The church not only here in, in Ontario and Canada, but I know in North America is feeling this. It's feeling it in a very, very difficult way. And I, I just want to say I am so thankful for the grace of God displayed in our midst where kindness and forbearance and patience and love has characterized your interactions, your actions, your words, your prayers. And I'm thankful so much that God's grace has been poured out among us in this way. But church, listen, sometimes we have seen too little of the things that we need to put on and too much of the things that Christ calls us to put off. Colossians, in God's providence today, tells us that there are things that just don't belong here. Anger, slander. They don't, they don't belong in this place. They don't belong in our interactions in the body of Christ, and yet these things are present in the broader church. And to some extent, they're present in this church. They don't belong here. This is not how the community of faith is to treat one another. You see, these sins of the flesh, the ways of the world, they tear apart our unity. They don't belong in the family of God. By the power of the Holy Spirit and for the glory of God, patience and goodness and meekness and forgiveness and love must, must, must be how we treat one another. These are things we're called to put on. Regardless of the challenges we're facing right now, today at our doorstep, regardless of how long we've been in this, regardless of how long it's gonna continue, regardless of what your perspective on COVID is or masking or the government, put all that aside, right? You can fight the battles. The battle we need to fight, let's start with right here. Let's fight to seek to preserve the unity of the spirit in the church. This is our church, this is our home, this is our family. This is what maturity in Jesus Christ looks like. Putting off sin by God's power 
and wonderfully being clothed in these beautiful, godly, Christ-like virtues, putting them on, is how we build a community of faith. This is Christ's love in action. For the glory of God, for the good of his people, and for the salvation of the lost. May it be so. Let's pray. Father, simply I wanna say thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you're a good, good father who gives us what we need when we need it and the power to put love into action. By your grace, do that now, we ask. Amen.